Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Repetitive negative thinking is a core feature of chronic worry, depression, and many other struggles. If you find yourself thinking over and over about the same thing that happened in the past or in the future, you want to listen to this episode. Recently, some studies have shown promising results in brief protocols of acceptance and commitment therapy act that focus exclusively on repetitive negative thinking. I had a chance to talk to Dr. Francisco Ruiz, who is one of the leading experts on Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Act and Relational Frame Theory, RFT. He is currently a professor in the area of clinical and experimental psychology at the Conrad Lawrence University Foundation in Bogota, Colombia. Dr. Ruiz's work has focused on developing an act-based intervention model designed to understand repetitive negative thinking, including worry and rumination, and to see how impactful or helpful act skills can be. He has published more than 75 articles in peer-reviewed journals and has served on several editorial boards including the Journal of Contextual Behavioral Science, the International Journal of Psychology, and Psychological Therapy. Among Dr. Ruiz's honors is his appointment as Distinguished Researcher Juan Alberto Aragón at the Conrad Lawrence University Foundation. In this episode, you will hear what repetitive negative thinking is, how acceptance and commitment therapy can help you to tackle persistent thoughts, about the past or the future, what diffusion is, what willingness is, and how a brief intervention that includes three sessions learning act skills can be helpful to get unstuck from playing it safe by thinking and thinking and thinking about the past or the future. I hope you enjoyed this episode and wish you a great week. Bye-bye. A couple of years ago, I bumped into one of your papers on repetitive negative thinking, termination and future-oriented thinking, and I was, oh my gosh, I have to talk to him. Okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Before we jump into the content of this paper and your work, would you mind sharing with the audience where you are located and what's your work and experience with ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy? Okay. So I'm from Spain, but I am living in Colombia for the for the last uh, six, seven years. I'm a psychologist. I 
uh, did my PhD with Carmen Luciano in the University mm -hmm. of Almería. Then I came here to Colombia to do research related with repetitive negative thinking and brief interventions to, to break this pattern of, of behavior and to apply to several problems like depression, anxiety, and these kind of things. And we have a lab that is called the clinic lab in the university. And we try to conduct uh, some clinical studies, randomized controlled trials, um, and to see how we can strengthen the, the interventions we, we do in the clinical. How did you get into ACT and Relational Frame Theory of Language, RFT? I think it was in the last year of my career. I read some papers and then I connected with Carmen Luciano and Dermot Barnes Holmes. Then I decided to, <laughs> to dedicate my life to conduct research. I, uh, I love uh, doing research since I was a little kid. So uh, for me, it was like I need to find a topic that, uh, that I can focus my attention mm -hmm. and my effort. And I found that in the basic analysis of language and cognition in relational frame theory and in the applications to, to the clinical settings to, to understand psychopathology, to understand how can we intervene with uh, people who are suffering. At some point, you decided to focus on rumination or repetitive negative thinking. Yeah. What led you to that? What's the story behind that, if I can ask? I, I think <laughs> maybe the, my, my personal um, experience. I remember as, a, as an adolescent that uh, I worry and ruminate a lot about many things that were important for me in the, that time. And I remember that it was a source of suffering for me. I, uh, I, I could uh, uh, understand that was a, a difficult situation for me. And when I... Uh, begin to read about that this uh, type of intervention of acceptance and commitment therapy I, I begin to stop worrying uh, and to be more open to my thoughts and feelings and more values uh, oriented um, and then in, in some also in my personal experience uh, I struggle with uh, patients uh, who uh, ruminate worry a lot and begin to think more about this this pattern of behavior and found that that it makes sense uh, when you think about relational frame theory that uh, worrying and rumination uh, are um, very counterproductive uh, strategies to deal with uh, with emotional pain. Well, first, thank you for sharing your personal experience with rumination and with worry. I know for myself, um, there are times in which I go into disaster forecaster thinking, this catastrophic thinking, or if something goes off, I start dwelling and dwelling. And it's hard to get out of these loops. And I think we have seen this with our clients too. It will be helpful for our conversation to define some of these terms. Most people are familiar with the distinction between worry and anxiety. Anxiety is mm -hmm. being present-oriented and worry is being future-oriented. Rumination has been understood as dwelling on the past events or past situations. But in your paper, you define repetitive negative thinking. How do you understand repetitive negative thinking these days? Yeah, repetitive negative thinking is like a label 
that uh, was coined more or less like 15 years ago, popularized since then, that uh, covers things like uh, worry and rumination that are the most uh, popular terms in uh, for the clinical psychologist, but uh, also their other terms like wishful thinking or or, or other problematic um, patterns of, of thinking like uh, hypervigilance or threat monitoring, um, this kind of thing. So it's the literature about worry and rumination grow separately. Mm-hmm. And at some point, some researchers found that uh, that it could be an, a good idea to see the, the commonalities more than the differences and, and to focus more on what they have in common. That is more or less, they are the same. That's just the, the, the way you explained was very well. It's more uh, oriented to the past in the case of rumination, more oriented to the future in the case of worry, but it's more or less the same pattern of thinking. You can find repetitive negative thinking almost every disorder as defined in the categories and the psychiatric categories it's i think it's a better way to think about how we can deal with uh, painful uh, thoughts and emotions that some forms of uh, dealing with them are more uh, complicated are not so productive and they are going to to increase our painful emotions and and not to think so much about the labels uh, of psychopathology that are sometimes more counterproductive for people. So I have an OCD or I have an anxiety disorder. So the, the important thing is how you are dealing with your problematic situations and how can you behave in a, in a more productive and more valued way. That's right. I know that many times... Uh... We think of different types of pain, like depression, anxiety, but what basically saying here is that there is a lot of commonalities across these struggles, and we want to focus more on that processes. One of these processes is repetitive negative thinking. Now, in ACT, in acceptance and commitment therapy, we talk a lot about the function of a behavior. How would you explain what's the function of repetitive negative thinking for anyone listening to this conversation? Okay. We usually worry uh, and ruminate because we want to avoid, in order to avoid some feelings. For mm-hmm. example, we worry about uh, things that we don't want to. We want to have a plan to, to deal with the, the situation. So at the beginning, usually you have a feeling or a thought that this that triggers this uh, process for example what happens if my wife <laughs> break up with me for example and you begin to think that's a very painful thought and you begin to think and think about to make a plan to think what will happen and sometimes and you do that because you want to know if this is going to happen or you want to have a plan and you want to know, don't have the uncertainty, okay? But uh, so we do that because uh, we want to avoid, it's like an experiential avoidance strategy. But sometimes the point is that the solution is more the problem. When you begin to worry for things that you don't know that if they are going to happen or things that are not controllable for you, 
and your behavior is more focused on, on these uh, fears and you begin to lose a lot of uh, attention to what is really important. For example, to to do things uh, to to maintain the, the relationship with your wife or to be more kind to, to her, to him, uh, and so on. And when uh, rumination is more or less the same, but uh, people usually uh, try to understand why things happen, things mm -hmm. that are important for them. I, for example, uh, didn't pass uh, an exam and I need to know why and I begin to think and a lot about that. But sometimes we don't have enough information to be sure what is why I, I didn't pass the, the exam. So it's very easy to focus more on responding questions that are not, uh, that doesn't, that, that don't have a, a, a response actually to increase the suffering uh, because worrying and rumination usually increase the suffering. So you uh, engage in worrying, rumination, because you want to avoid uh, that those uh, triggering thoughts, but usually you get the opposite thing. But you are doing that because it makes uh, sense to be prepared for the future, makes sense to try to understand why the things happened. But for many people, uh, the things is going in the opposite direction. So you get more suffering. And when you get more suffering, uh, you usually, people usually engage in other experiential avoidance strategies. So you are full of thoughts. You don't want to think more for more time after one hour, two hours of worrying and rumination. For example, engaging in drinking alcohol or self-harming or whatever other uh, avoidance strategy. Yeah, yeah. So primarily the function of repetitive negative thinking is avoidance. Yeah. Now, I think it's hard to distinguish what's productive planning and what's unproductive yeah. planning. For example, I recently was in Bolivia and of course my mind was coming up with questions like what if there is an explosion of COVID? What if you cannot come back to the country? What if yeah. you get sick? So of course I try to have backup plans. So how would you tell people to distinguish productive worry and unproductive mm -hmm. worry that is keeping us stuck and adding more suffering? That's a very important thing to distinguish uh, uh, because worry and rumination is, uh, are very similar to problem solving. So, right. so it's more, more or less they are very connected. Mm -hmm. and, but what happens when people uh, worry in a counterproductive way? Uh, they usually... Uh, worry about things that are not controllable. They usually uh, think about uh, the problems in a very abstract way. So, for example, you have a problem, uh, you have a fight with your wife, um, you begin to think, oh, what I am going to do if, if, if she break up with me? Um, you are just in the scenario that she broke with you. What, what, what are your plans for them? But actually, it didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you are thinking about other situations, really. You are just in, thinking about problems that didn't occur. You, uh, you lose the focus on the, the actual situation. So we have a fight. Uh, okay, I can think about how can I understand 
head position? What can I, what can we do to solve the situation in a more concrete, in a more, in a more focused way? And in a way that my thinking leads to doing something that it's in, that is important for me or that can solve the situation. So that's, that's an interesting point. Sometimes we need to, uh, to, to train or to teach uh, clients to think in a more concrete way and avoid worry and rumination that are too abstract, that are in the very general situation, in a philosophical way, <laughs> uh, catastrophical way, as you said before, because worry and rumination are not bad for themselves. Uh, they can be very counterproductive if you apply them to situations in a way that is too abstract, not connected to, to what you can do. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an important distinction. Now, if I have to make big decisions like who do I marry? What type of house do I buy? People would do a lot of research and will try to come up with mm -hmm. potential scenarios in which things could go wrong. What would be your advice when people are making those big decisions to check that they are not going into these repetitive, negative thinking patterns? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, my advice would be that, uh, that you can focus more on concrete things to, mm. to compare. For example, if you are looking for a new house. Okay, let's see. Uh, What are the characteristics of the neighborhoods or the houses, but concrete things. And of course, you, we, we can't uh, rate every characteristic and to see if this is better, this is worse or whatever. So at some point you will need to have uh, to, to make a choice. For example, I, it's interesting because Before uh, being a psychologist, I, I was a chess Yeah, my first uh, research uh, was with chess players, usually, uh, actually. And this was one thing that we see in the interventions, is that people ha have to make a choice, uh, have to make a move uh, in, in just some minutes. And sometimes you don't know what is the better move. And you are not going to know because the situation is too complex. So you will need hours and hours, days with the computers to see if this move is better than the other move. But people need to, sometimes need to have the impression that they are doing the best thing. But just, but sometimes this is just an illusion. So sometimes you just have to make a, be responsible with that choice behave responsible with that choice and, and follow your life. So I will move this and mm -hmm. now I am going to focus on, on this situation, not in what will happen if I will choose the other move, <laughs> not this yeah. one. Okay, I buy this house and now I am going to focus on, on doing good decisions, but we are not going to know if this is the best decision. And maybe yeah. we don't need to have the impression that we are doing the best decision. We need to live uh, uh, our lives. You can choose between being convinced, convincing yourself that you are doing the best thing or live your life as you want to, to live it. That's right. That's right. I think in every decision, there is some form and some shape of uncertainty. 
I think when people have low tolerance to uncertainty, that becomes really hard. And it is as if they have decidophobia. They have a phobia about making decisions. I found helpful that when I work with clients that are prone to rumination or to worry or to repetitive negative thinking, to have time frames for making the decision. Like by mm-hmm. December 3rd, I'm going to make the decision when the information yeah. I have um, to limit the number of resources they're going to search information about. So I think we have to start creating some contingencies for these processes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's okay, let me switch gears to that fabulous study you did in 2019. And again, I was really impressed and super appreciative of your work because you did run a multiple baseline evaluation of acceptance and commitment therapy specifically for repetitive negative thinking in a brief intervention. Mm-hmm. And I think the brief intervention were three sessions and some recordings mm-hmm. that the clients received. What was the design of this study and how did it go when you were working with these clients? Okay. Yeah, this was, we ran like 15 clinical studies in the last six or seven years. And this was one of them. I think it's maybe it's more, it's better to to explain the the rationale of the, the research. So the beginning, we wanted to to focus, act on disrupting uh, repetitive negative thinking. Mm -hmm. But if you want to to do that, you need to to know if your procedures, your clinical procedures are uh, actually (laughs) disrupting repetitive negative thinking. So we began to make up uh, protocols uh, and we tested, for example, one session of ACT with people who ruminated a lot, uh, worried a lot. And just the one session protocol was quite effective uh, to disrupting these processes. So then we began to apply uh, these protocols with other type of of participants, people who were diagnosed by depression or generalized anxiety disorder, that are the two disorders that are more connected to to rumination and worry. So we tested uh, the efficacy of two or three uh, sessions protocol. And uh, we found that uh, with just two or three sessions, uh, most of the participants uh, were able to to stop uh, worry and rumination in a very significant way to decrease emotional symptoms and and to increase value of living. Um, in their lives. So we actually conducted uh, a randomized control trial after Mm -hmm. some single case uh, studies. And we found in more or less like 50 participants that just a two-session protocol was enough to decrease in a clinically significant way uh, depression and anxiety for most of the participants, more than 90% at the one-month follow-up compared to the whitelist control. It's a fascinating study. This protocol had three sessions. Do you mind sharing with the audience the content of those sessions? Okay, I I used to say that the most important session is the first one. Um, And at the beginning of the first session, we established the the context for doing a brief intervention. Mm -hmm. So... We are doing that in the lab. Uh, We only have two or three sessions that we are going to go very fast, but the the participant is 
going to say if we are going too fast or too slow for, for him or for her. Then we begin to focus the, the functional analysis uh, in a way that we say things like we can do two uh, type of things in everyday life. You, you can do things that go to what is very important for you, to your dreams, to your values, in other words. Or you can do things that uh, that going in the positive direction of that you get entangled in things that are not really important. And the, the point in, of the intervention is to increase the, the, the frequency of valued behaviors mm-hmm. and to decrease the, the, the frequency of the behavior that goes in, in the other direction. But after that, that is really common for us. Uh, we focus, uh, we say things like uh, most of the people uh, usually begin to do things that go in the opposite direction when they experience a, a fear or a thought and they begin to get entangled with them, they begin to worry, to ruminate about that. They begin to lose a, do- a lot of hours, uh, begin to feel at the end of the day, they are not proud of, the, of how they conducted, how they uh, behave that day, that happens for, for many months. So we begin to focus on what is the, what are the, the usual or the most frequent change of thoughts in worry and rumination. And we begin to see what is the most important, the most important thought for them that makes uh, like an abstract thought, for example, the, the fear to failure. Is usually one of the most frequent that we find the, in, in the studies. So the fear to be alone, of the social criticism, or, and so on. We ask for that, uh, like the big one, the, the most uh, important uh, thought that make uh, the other thoughts to uh, to have more strength, and we begin to conduct a functional analysis that way. So we see what are the things that in you, uh, how is the chain of thoughts that uh, entangle you? And then we see how people react when they are tired of thinking and thinking. So the other experiential avoidance strategies. Mm-hmm. And we try to do very experiential work in one thing that uh, calling in at like relative hopelessness to so the idea is for the client to experience uh, very clearly that the problem is not him or her but the how they react to this thought that uh, the problem is uh, this pattern of thinking of worrying and rumination what will happen uh, if they be they uh, follow doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. and what are the costs for that? So the cost in, in, in terms of the suffering, they are increasing and the, the not advancing in value. So when we see how people ruminate, we usually go in the other direction and see what they value very mm-hmm. easily. So and we have on the both sides... Uh, very clear that what are the cost of worrying and rumination is very important. And then we try to, uh, for them to realize that there is another option. And the other option is to be willing to have the triggering thoughts for worrying and rumination and not 
engage in, in these thinking processes um, and to focus attention on, on values, on value behaviors. And we try to do that with uh, very experiential metaphors, physicalizing the metaphors. Um, and then when they uh, feel uh, that the rationale of the intervention is very clear for them, that they are convinced, okay, this is going to have a very big impact. We begin to do usually uh, a lot of uh, diffusion exercises. So in other words, uh, like they, for them to understand to realize how the worry and rumination chains of thoughts are, how they begin to engage in worry and rumination, and to just uh, see the thoughts, uh, to take a distance, you know, observing distance from them, and to choose, to choose what to do. You can choose to follow thinking and thinking, or you can focus your attention what is really important for you and that's usually that's all values are of course uh, on the table very clearly when you have values very clear on the table and you have what is your counterproductive uh, pattern of responding to the triggering thoughts and you train uh, people to to look at the thoughts in a distance uh, distant way uh, so people begin to change. If it's okay to clarify some of the terms, because not everyone is familiar with ACT, if you have to explain willingness and diffusion for a person that doesn't know ACT, how would you explain that to them? Yeah, okay. Yeah, willingness will be the, like the attitude to you know, the openness, to have uncertainty, for example, or don't having a, an explanation for everything. Yeah. And behaving in, and focusing your attention to what is really important. So it's not that you are going to have anxiety just uh, for having anxiety or have an uncertainty, but to understand that it's better for you to, to let those thoughts, to don't answer your, your that those questions. Uh, don't try to make a plan for that fear and to focus really on, on the present moment, on what you can do at this moment to advance and to create the, the life you want to live. Diffusion is the skill to, to actually see thoughts as thoughts, feelings as feelings. So it's like a, seeing that you are the person who is having the thoughts and feelings, that you have a lot of thoughts and feelings uh, all of your life and that you can choose what to do in, in every situation so if you are having a, a thought that doesn't mean that you need to behave according to that thought mm -hmm. you can see that thought as it is and, and you can focus your attention on what you want for for you so mm -hmm. according to your experiences what is best for you right now to to focus on responding to this thought or to focus on behaving according to your values. That's right. You know, sometimes I think of willingness as the personal decision we make to say yes to mm. the yucky worry that comes. And I think the fusion, it's really something that perhaps come across as silly, but it's learning to step back and watch our thoughts for what they are, letters and words put together. 
Now, going back to the protocol, you guys did a bunch of diffusion exercises. Mm -hmm. Which ones would you like to share with people listening to us? The, the most important thing of the diffusion exercises is to include all the information we have from, from experimental analogs we conduct in the, in the lab about diffusion, self-as context, and to include all the cues in a way that uh, makes a difference. So, for example, it is, it's important to train the clients uh, from the very beginning uh, to discriminate, to see the thought uh, and feeling they are having that way. To, for example, imagine that in, I don't know, in a, in a screen, from a screen, and to see them, to see that they can uh, begin to think about them or they just can look at them. Mm -hmm. and that they can choose to do that and to begin to see that these are just momentary experiences they are experiencing mm -hmm. uh, that they can choose what to do and that they can choose in that moment to invite them to to choose what do you want to do right now and what will be the consequences if uh, you choose to begin to ruminate about that or you choose to focus on the thing that is more productive to uh, advance toward your values so that the protocol is full of exercises that try to be very explicit about these processes yeah. so that leads people to choose when you make a, a like a move of distancing from from the thoughts and feelings and to see them from a hierarchical way from that they are just momentary experiences you have and now what do you choose to do and, and to see what are the opportunities the context it's giving you that mm -hmm. is not only to to follow thinking and thinking about the things and to see the consequences so that that in a way the those exercises have all the processes together there are so many ways in which we can practice the fusion like singing our worries writing yeah. them down physicalizing them imagining the worries as soccer players running on a field, for example. Yeah. One more question. In your protocol, between each session, clients receive a recording and they have to listen to that recording. Do you mind sharing what was the content of that recording? Yeah, there are, I think, four or five recordings. For example, the first one is just it's quite simple is that the first session we give a one recording in which they are thought to yeah, they are asked to focus on their breath and then to think about what is what will be very important for them to do in the next 24 hours and to see what kind of psychological barriers could step in the way so uh, that uh, how can they begin to worry and ruminate about this thought? We ask them to actually worry and ruminate about this, just to to see how that could be, mm -hmm. and what would be the consequences. And then we ask them to okay, just let that thought. You don't need to do that. Uh, anything to with to deal with it, just focus on how will you behave in that way? How will you pursue your values in that way? And to make a choice. That was like the first recording. The second one is one 
recording, just uh, it is a very general it's experiencing thoughts and feelings, just putting them on a screen or on a balloon to see them, realizing that they are just thoughts and, and emotions and choosing what you what what you want to do right mm -hmm. now. And other recordings are to learn to, for example, engage in worry uh, or rumination about, I don't know, very recent um, situation and engage voluntarily mm -hmm. in worrying. And some after 20 seconds, more or less, they hear uh, a sound. Yeah. And when they hear the sound, they need to, uh, they have to just stop, see how many thoughts they have created mm -hmm. uh, that all these thoughts are their creation mm -hmm. <laughs> are, and that they can choose right now if they want to follow or they want to stop and focus the, their attention on other things and they need and they have to choose to follow worrying just to practice so the idea is to you can you can see that you can worry you can ruminate you can experience that your anxiety your uh, sadness is increasing but uh, it doesn't matter because at every moment you have the you, you can do a, a choice you can see you can follow with this uh, behavioral stream or you can orient your behavior towards other so that's other recording and the last one is very simple is just uh, uh, to say some words like the free association word in psychoanalysis, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's not for that purpose. Just we say, for example, then the participant need to see what uh, Im image or thought appears and just to stop, focus it, focus on it. If they begin to to think about other things, okay, doesn't matter. Just focus on the thought you have experience for the first time wait for another word to to appear do the same so that they all the time choice choose between thinking about the thought or just observing the thought and stop for the next uh, wait for the next word mm -hmm. I find it very interesting because you and I know that traditionally the treatment for worry and rumination has been some form of exposure, right? Which is yeah. recording all the worries I have and listening to them or scheduling worry time. Let's say that every day at 7 a.m. I'm going to write down all my worries. What I love of these recordings is that it's also building attention flexibility and increasing the capacity to choose. You mentioned at the beginning that with this study, in three brief sessions of learning values-based behaviors and then teaching willingness and diffusion exercises, clients responded well at a clinical and statistical level. How far was the follow-up from the last day of treatment? Yeah, the, I think the longest follow-up we have conducted is three months. Right. The reason why I'm asking is because I think many times for the clients we work with, we see an improvement at the end of treatment, but it's important to see the maintenance of treatment gains. Mm -hmm. And your research is showing that ACT is a very impactful and helpful approach for anyone dealing with worry or rumination and repeating negative thinking. Yeah. I have one last question. One last okay. question. So. Perfect. 
Uh, Francisco, if you were to have a cup of tea or coffee or a scotch or a beer okay. with any person you want, who would that be? Okay, I, I will say Skinner, for example. Oh, yeah. wow, that's really cool. <laughs> and what would you ask Skinner if I can ask? I don't know, <laughs> actually, <laughs> uh, but uh, it would be so many questions for him. But I think I would like to to see what he, he would thought about what we are doing in, in clinical psychology and RFT. And I think that would be interesting for us to know. Yeah. No, I think I, we I, are going in the good direction, but by the way. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you listening to us, Skinner is the father of behaviorism. People think of him as this very uptight person, but actually he was a very progressive person in his own time. A person that talked a lot about love and social justice. And I think like you, I will be super curious to say, what does he think of process-based therapy and RFT these days? That yeah. would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Francisco, thank you so much for your time. I hope to have you back to chat about another study you're working on. Okay. Thank you so much, Patricia. What's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.com. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!